Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In the book of Genesis, there are the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis does give us an interpretation as to what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. The Bible says that when man partakes of that tree, he will die. So come to understand that the interpretation of that tree is death. But it's not so simple when we come to the tree of life because Genesis gives us no understanding, no interpretation, no real definition what that tree of life was all about, nor what it might even do for the man. We would have to read further into the biblical record and we will probably have to look deeper into the life of Jesus Christ to understand what that tree of life is all about. The message today will try to unpack that this tree in the Garden of Genesis was not just another fruit tree or maybe some symbol or some metaphor, but it was probably, most likely, the person of Christ in disguise. And if man had partaken of that tree, we will dare to explore what could have happened to his life with God. Now, Yahweh, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground. And God breathed into this man's nostrils the breath of life. And this man became a living soul. Your Bible might even use the word it became a living being. A living creature. Very well. And verse 8 it says, Yahweh God, the Lord God, planted a garden in Eden. It's in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, as well as the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to look at verse 8. God in verse 7 had his man. He created his man, or at least we might even say he had a vessel. In verse 8, God planted this garden, so God initiates the garden. And you will notice that this garden is called Eden. What is the definition of Eden? Yes, what does the word Eden mean? It's the actual word means pleasure. So listen to it again. 
And God planted the garden in pleasure. That is, who is the originator, the wellspring, the source of pleasure? You see, y'all can't even say it. It's just so difficult. God wants His man happy. He wants His man blessed. So he, he wants His man to live in an environment that is pleasurable. And so, guys, girls, let me just say from the onset, there is in God a pleasure that is of God. If you live a life having no pleasure, you're not in God's way. Now, if you live a life of hedonism, you're in God's way. You're in His way. You're a blockage for His beauty. But simple, beautiful, wholesome pleasure is God's idea. God planted the garden and He called it Eden. So, pleasure is not evil. But then again, we don't want to swing the pendulum to hedonism, which is self excessive, extravagant, only pleasure. That's, that's not of God either. But in its most healthy, most beautiful form in all its many ways, through food, pleasure, through work, accomplishment, through creativity, through sexual intercourse, pleasure. It's all of God. It's beautiful. Amen. See, y'all can't even say amen. Okay, but all right. I get that. So he puts the man in the land of pleasure. And it says in verse 9, out of the ground, he now causes to grow every tree that is pleasant. Hello? There's that word again. Pleasant. It's pleasurable. Most of you have a spirituality where you just think we've got to suck lemons all day long and be these sour people. That's what the monastics taught us. You know, life is just one long, horrible Sour experience. But at the onset, it was not so. Religion may be twisted and perverted, some of it. But at the onset, God puts the man in a realm of pleasure and he grows trees to please this man for food and to bless him. You get the idea that God is good. You get the idea that God's benevolent. Right? So it goes on, everything that was pleasurable to the sight, it was good for food. Now, verse 9. It says that God also had the tree of life in the middle of the garden. In the middle. What does your Bible say? In the center if I could sketch this out for you like a pebble that you drop in a lake, there's the epicenter from which all the ripples have its effect. The cause is the pebble dropping. The ripples is the effect. It's the same. In this garden, God dropped in the middle of that garden. The center figure from which all wholesome pleasure will come. And that central figure is life. The tree of Life. Now it says that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also there. So yeah, here's a little bit of a mystery. That garden has an, a twofold epicenter, so to speak. That might become a twofold experience for man. Either it's going to be the rock of life 
that creates a ripple effect of life, or it's going to be, let's say, the rock of what is good versus evil, which really is just death, and it's going to affect the entire pond. So we might even say both trees are at the center of this garden. Therefore, from these two trees will come man's living, man's existence, man's definition, man's purpose, man's destiny. Will it be the ripple effect of life so that everything man touches is life and expresses life? Or will it be this ripple effect of good versus evil, which is just the expression of death? So how can you say, Francois, what's the expression of death? Well, turn onwards a little bit and go to verse 16. In the foregoing verses, we don't have a definition of what this life-giving tree is. We, the Bible is silent on that. But it's not silent on what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. The Bible will interpret that for us already in the book of Genesis. In verse 16, the Lord God commands this man and He says to him, of every tree of this garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of it you shall not eat. And here comes the interpretation. Because in the day that you eat from that tree, even if you take good into you, that tree of evil, that also has a lot of knowledge in it. Even if you take good, evil, and knowledge into you, now the Bible gives us the definition of what that tree really is, and it says it there. Read it. It is going to cause you to die. So in a nutshell, we can just say, at the center of human living will either be the tree of life or the tree of death. And man's existence will be affected by either a life-giving nature or a death-giving nature. Man will become the expression of life or man will become the expression of death. Now again, we have a great interpretation here of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now we know that, yeah, it's death. But when it comes to the tree of life... It still stays mystical. God does not explain to us what this life-giving tree will do for you, how it works, what it is. It by and large remains a mystery. The story goes on that the man and the woman, they eat the tree of death. As a result, they hide from God. As a result, they sow fig leaves together. As a result, they are evicted from the garden of God. They're separated from the holy, from the sacred. And um, much like Satan was cast out and separated from the sacred, the man and the woman now is separated from the sacred, separated from God pleasure, God satisfaction, God fulfillment. And so the man and the woman go live outside. And at the gate of that garden, there are two terrible figures, cherubim, with flaming swords that prevents man from coming back and partaking of the tree of life. It's as though God blocks the tree of life. And we still don't know what is this tree of life. 
What will it do for you? Well, the biblical story goes on. And God, um, throughout succeeding generations, He would rescue and teach and train and they would sacrifice and He would forgive and there'd be blood and there'd be a tabernacle. All throughout, God would cause His people to live and teach them about life. But we, we never fully get a definition of life. Throughout much of the Old Testament, it remains a mystery. Then one day, the mystical became visible. And God came and walked among us. He became a Jewish man. And He took on the nature and likeness of humanity. And He lived for some 30 odd years enter into ministry, taught, healed, and manifested some of the glory of God and the power of God. And then one day they put this man to death. They crucified him on a tree. You'll learn about that next week. In the garden, God had a tree called the tree of life. And really, he just needed man to partake of that tree. It would have done something for him. Instead, man eats of another tree. So in the beginning of the book, way there in the beginning, there's two trees. You come to the middle of the story and here's a man. And they nail him to a tree. It's as though God cannot get done with trees. But they nail this man to a tree. And then come to find out that if you take this man on this cursed tree as your Lord and your Savior, then this man dying on that despicable, abhorrent symbol of a curse, he will then give you life. Eternal life, his own nature. Then you'll see that a lot of folk received this man, this man on this cursed cross. And when he came into them, they became alive. And they began to live by him. And he began to be life to them and in them and through them. And so these people begin to share in this resurrection life and this life began to regulate them and God began to be manifested through these people they partook of a tree that is they partook of a man on a tree then you come to the very end of the Bible we will cover this next week and there in the New Jerusalem is the tree of life. From the beginning in Genesis, all throughout, there is a tree. The Bible wraps up even with a tree. And it's called the tree of life. But I'll show you next week something very interesting through the notes. When the New Testament and the book of Revelation speaks about the tree of life, that word that is used, tree, 
is the word zulon, and it is the specific reference made to a cross tree, a tree of execution. That word tree of life, the zulon of Zoe, that zulon is a word that's used exclusively for an execution stake. It's not an almond tree or a pecan tree or a hick. It's a crucifixion tree of life. So if I begin to put some things together, I don't have to stretch my imagination too far. I begin to see that way back here in Genesis, what God wanted to give Adam and his woman was Christ himself. Genesis doesn't say that at all. But if you begin to see that Christ is the one that gives life, he died on a tree. And the tree here is the execution tree that gives life. Then if I take this bookend of Revelation and I marry it here to the book of Genesis, then I'm beginning to suspect the tree of life in the garden was just Christ himself. Because only through Christ do you have the real life. So that tree of life could have been some fruit tree. I don't know. But the prophetic innuendo there is that it's just Christ himself. It's God himself giving you himself to eat. It doesn't say that at all. But if we read the entire volume of the book, you'll see that the only way a man can really live is through Christ. Why would God give man something other in the book of Genesis but himself? Right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, easy to interpret. It's death. The tree of, the, of life. It's just Christ in disguise. Now the question becomes, if we go to your notes, what if the man and woman had eaten the tree of life? What would have happened to them? Because in the New Testament, a lot of people partook of Christ. They took Christ. Christ who was their life-giving source. They took the man on the cross. They took that tree of life, which was Christ. And so in this lesson, I want to ask then, if life comes into me, if life did come into Adam over here, what would have happened to Adam? This is what we're daring to, to, to even answer. What happened to Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus? What happened to these guys when they received Jesus into them? When the Spirit of God brought the cross of Christ, the tree of life, the real tree of life into them. Well, that could have happened to Adam. It didn't. It happened in the new covenant. Now, what will this life do for me? That's what we're attempting to answer. Before we can answer this, I want to draw a sketch on the board for you and then see the notes, okay? I'm a visual guy, so I like to draw goofy sketches. Bear with me. Here is the man... Adam, you can clearly tell. There he is. 
He was created by God. And God had a destiny for this man. When God made his man, he said, number one, this man is in my image and this man is in my likeness. In other words, God gave him an issue of identity. Okay. God gave him a unique identity. You're God's man. You belong to God. You're of God. So this was then his destiny is to live in the identity of God. Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our own image. Very simple. We might even say, what's the greatest calling of God on my life? That I would be in his image and his likeness. Okay. Now, number two, there was another destiny in front of this man. It says it exactly there in the book of Genesis 1 verse 26 and the following verses also. It says that God gave this man authority. God gave this man dominion, kingship, the rulership. In other words, he was God's viceroy. That is God's ambassador, God's king, God's emissary. So he was to rule and to reign. This is an issue of the kingship, let's say dominion. And God was needing this man to be an overcomer. He was to be a man of authority. He was to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. He was to be free and not a slave. Very simple calling of God. We might even ask, what's the calling of God on my life? That I would live as a person of authority, of identity, of overcoming. Not a, a victim, not an addict, but a person who is sober and live. Yeah, is everybody with me? Okay, simple calling. Then also there we read in Genesis, God told this man, I want you to multiply. I want you to bear fruit. I want you to fill the earth. And then the Bible would say, subdue it again and rule and reign. But this whole idea, God wants you to multiply. And what, what God is wanting this man to really have as him and the wife make babies, as they create a family and offspring, what God is really after is that this man would have influence in this world. He would affect this world. So this, this was the calling of God on this man, if you will. I might even ask, what's the greatest calling of God on your life? It's that you would multiply, bear fruit, much fruit, live a life of influence, a, a legacy. Hello? Welcome to Legacy School of Discipleship. Yeah. So if you can look here at the screen, this is all from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. You'll find there also that God then blessed this man. God puts His stamp of approval on this. This is what God endorses. But then He takes this man and He puts him in the middle of the garden. And He tells him in, an, in a way, don't eat death, rather eat life. Look here quickly. What God is after is what will be the fuel in the man's tank 
to make him live out his destiny. This is his potential calling. This is the life God has in front of him. Image, authority, multiplication. An issue of identity. A man of dominion of the kingship. This is a, an issue of influence. This is God's potential on this man. This is the carpet God rolls out for this man to live on this earth. But then back it up, back it up. God puts this man in front of two trees. It's as though those trees will become fuel to make the man live this out. This is his potential destiny. But what will come into this man to fuel him? That's what I submit to you was the tree of life. He was to eat into him something of God, some power, some anointing, some strength, even Christ himself. And by Christ in him, God in him, the nature of God in him, I submit to you, this man would have lived this out. Look at your notes. The heading there is the addition of the tree of life. Even though Adam was alive, he was a living being. God's command to eat from the tree of life and abstain from the tree of death, God's heart's desire indicated that Adam needed another life form in addition to the human life he already had. In other words, we're beginning to see Adam was not complete. He had a potential destiny. He had the endorsement of God. He had the blessing of God. Uh, he was created for God. He looks, but he lacked fuel in the tank. I submit to you the tree of life was going to be this fuel that's going to cause this man to live out this destiny. Okay. So it says there, he needed another life. A non-human life, a transcendent life, an uncreated life, a, a divine life. He already was given the human life. God breathed into him and gave him this gift to become a living soul. So he now had what we would call biology. Is everybody with me? But he needed Zoe. Just like in Jesus' day, Everybody had the human life, but Christ came and said, you have no life unless you eat me. That is, your human life is not complete. Your human life is not the full life. You need Christ's life in you. Does it make sense? Yeah. I have a verse to prove to you where Jesus said, you are not complete in the human life alone. This is what I believe happened here in the garden. This man of his own free choosing had to take the fuel in him. Just like all of us of our own free choosing has to take Christ into us. Amen. Amen. God did not shove that fruit down the man's throat. You choose what will be at the epicenter of your life. So if Christ then came into Adam, his image would never have been lost. 
he would not have fallen from glory. If Christ came into Adam that day, he would have lived out in authority and squashed the head of that serpent. If Christ came into Adam, he would have affected this planet with life upon life upon life. But Adam ate another fuel into him. That fuel is called the fuel of sin. And what it produced in him on the other side was death. And this death began to spread in this man Adam. And I told you, at the epicenter, it's either life or it's death. Life will have a ripple effect, and the image, authority, and influence of God will spread through you. But Adam ate death. The fuel of sin came into him, and it began to affect his image. And Adam fell from the image of God. Adam fell from the authority of God. Adam fell from influencing people for God. So now if you read all the generations after Adam, no more are we saying in the image of God. We're now beginning to say he was the son of, and the son of, and the son of. That is, people are now of man. So Adam was the last one of God. Now everything is fallen, fallen, and it's degrading. So this is what death then did in this man. It shut down the identity of God. It shut down the authority of God. And it shut down a life of fruit and influence and multiplication. So, beloved, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? The gospel is then simply this. God wants life to come back into you for the recovery of these three things. We present the gospel as... Accept Jesus and you're going to go to heaven, which is good. I, I get that. It's so shallow. It's so kindergarten. No wonder people don't grow up. you got to go back to Genesis and see what was written there. There God made a man in image, authority, with the empowerment of fruit, multiplication. This is what he wants from man. This is what he endorsed. Now, sin came in and shut all this down, confused all of this, twisted and perverted every single item of God. So guess what salvation is? Salvation is then twofold. Number one, blood to deal with the fallenness. But then God's going to want to baptize you in the tree of life again. God wants you to eat Christ, who is life. God wants Christ to become your life. And guess what it's going to do? It will fuel your identity in God again. And you'll be conformed to His... Yeah, from glory to glory. Guess what God's life will do in you if you learn to live by God? It will reauthorize you to be a man of God. You live as an overcomer. Not a slave, not a victim. Not a has-been. You begin to have a life of multiplication. You'll see men and women of God who live by Christ, they affect the world. They lead people to Jesus. They help people. They pray. They, there's influence. They make spiritual babies. Can you all follow with me? Now, can I submit to you, what is the three big bondages of our modern day Christian era? Number one, we all struggle with identity issues. Isn't that coincidental? 
Isn't that interesting? That we have to go to excessive, unending counsel to kind of find an identity. That's why we all want some personality. Just somebody, please help me figure out the identity thing. You just need Christ. Now, now we're going to do a personality thing for you. Have some fun. Just show everybody how quirky and in need of God we really are. (laughs) But is it not interesting that most of us are so crippled in the Christian life because we're not even sure who am I? Identity. Now, identity is a good thing God has in store for you, but you can never counsel a person into identity. Life will have to empower them. Now, I can teach, and we're going to help, and we can contend. But in the end, what pebble will drop into your core? Life will be the one empowering you. Now, the second thing is, look at our culture, even our Christian culture, pardon the French. We're all addicts to something. Show me the free person. We're all slaves. I've watched Christians so Timid, so fearful. What will they say? What will people think? They can't even say no to something or yes to... What do you think? Uh, uh, They just do what everybody... They don't have no backbone. It's an issue of authority. They can't say no to sin. They can't say no to nothing and yes to something. We're just all drifters, all just enslaved, and we just shoot up and snort up and just... I know the culture we live in, and for me it's pitiful. It's pitiful. Now I gotta run to this, go to that, try this, try. What are we trying? We're all looking to grasp for an identity. Of course, the TV tells us what identity we should have. We're all looking for authority. That's why men beat women. That's why we're, we're abusive. Just we're all wanting to be some kind of a f- authority figure because it's ingrained in your being. But Satan has so ugh, stolen, killed, destroyed the good authority. The authority that God gave the man and the woman was to crush Satan. It didn't have to do with ruling and reigning each other. There was a devil on the loose already. God endowed that man over every creeping thing with authority. But in the fall now, we rule and reign and squash and hurt and abuse one another. Now, I watch our Christians. They cannot get free from nothing. But they quote this verse. Whom the Son sets free is free in... You shall know the truth and the... Well, I've got the truth. I know Jesus. And I'll show you later all that they have as a theory. Truth has to become reality for you to be free. And as long as you just have a theory, even a good Bible theory, it's still not enough. Christ has to climb into your being. You've got to learn to move in Him, live by Him, draw from Him, and you'll see you come free. It's good to have some boundaries, guys, girls. It's good to have some, some good strategic, wise counsel in different things. But if you want to be free from bondage, I can think of only one way. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom as a person. Hallelujah. 
And you'll see Christians. We, we do believe we should lead somebody to Jesus. We do believe we should bear fruit. We should be kind. We should be nice. We should forgive. Why do Christians struggle to manifest a life of fruit and influence? Because we don't cling to life. And this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil did for us. It shut down these three great callings of God on my life. Now, what is salvation? Salvation is to restart these three great callings of God in my life. If you want to know today what God's will is, well, here it is in a bubblegum wrapper for you. What is God's will for me today? To restore your identity, to reauthorize you, and to cause you to multiply. Mm -hmm. Among many other things, at the very base, Here's three things God would like to do in your life today. We all crave a sound identity, a kingship, and we all crave multiplication. The issue is now, how will you be restored into that? So that's what I meant by bullet number one on your notes. God made this man with enormous potential. So putting him inside that garden, that tree of life, what was that life then? We might even say life would be the catalyst to spark these realities. Life would be the fuel to spark these realities. So we don't understand what the tree of life is, but I'm beginning to tell you, if I read the whole story, you see that when Christ gave the apostles life, they began to be sound in their identity. Paul didn't see him no longer as self as a murderer. He saw himself now as the righteousness of God. Like the Christ in him began to do something for the man's identity. He saw himself now as a servant of all men and he was yet he was a king. I will show you later in the semester in the book of Acts Towards the latter part of the book of Acts, you see Paul acting in a very kingly manner, yet he was a slave. His identity was so secure in Christ. His authority just exuded from him, even on a ship. He would tell a captain what to do and what not to do. But yet he was a prisoner. And Paul, everywhere he went, he multiplied and influenced and had spiritual children and offspring. When was the last time any child of God led anybody to Jesus? It's just not a thing anymore. We take him to the pastor. He'll lead him to Jesus. What about you? Adam is supposed to multiply himself. And that's what I'm trying to do with you guys. And hopefully you'll take the baton and run with it. And have spiritual offspring. Now, do you suppose God has a different gospel for me today? No. No, but I'll tell you what our gospel is. Our gospel is Jesus died so I could go to heaven. That's all that's preached globally. I, hello? What's the gospel? The gospel affects my identity today, my authority today to overcome, and my capability to produce today. That's also the gospel. All right, back on your notes. F.J. Hugel. The merely human life 
however noble and strong and cultivated, is insufficient and inadequate. It's as inadequate as a handful of glowing coals would be for the warming of an Arctic blizzard. But he's describing to you that you simply cannot live out any good thing God has in front of you. You need fuel. And we're trying to describe that tree of life was Adam's fuel. He missed it. What is Christ giving you? Fuel. Point number two. This additional life that Adam was to receive is to be man's internal spiritual supply. Number three. This additional life was not human. It was divine, uncreated. It was the highest life in the universe. It was non-earthly life. It was Zoe life. Of course, the book of Genesis doesn't say this. But as we come to Christ, especially in the Gospel of John, we might even get an interpretation as to what that tree could have been. What it potentially was. Because Christ now is that to His people as the cross tree. Point number four. I bolded this point for you so that you could see something here. God wanted this man to eat this life even before he fell into sin. After sin, what man now needs is blood. But even before sin, this life was going to be a kind of a nature inside this man, a kind of a fuel. But now God will have to, in a way, bring about blood first to wash, blood to forgive. Point number five. This additional life would make man active in two realms. We'll talk about that later. This man would be of the earth, but seated in the heavenlies. He would be very human, but have a spiritual capacity to commune with God. That was the tree of life. Now, when Christ came and gave you His life, did He not make you active in two realms? You remain human, but you're seated in the heavens. Hello? You pray with understanding, but you pray with spirit. You become functional in two universes. That was for you, Blair. You're active in two dimensions, the visible and the invisible. Point number six, this additional life would make the man a container of two natures, the human nature and the divine nature. That is, man would now be a compounded being. Just like Adam was a male and female in one, a Christian now is human and of God in one. You're compounded into one person. Does it make sense? So we're asking, what would this tree of life do for this man? Here, in a nutshell, is what it would do for the man, in a very elementary way. Among many things, in a nutshell. But, on the back there, I give you a couple of other ideas. Number one, this tree of life signifies that the man would be dependent on God. God would be his fuel, his supply, his resource. So it's an issue of dependence. 
Everybody who is born of Christ has to learn to live by Christ. Amen? That whole little word there, by, indicates dependence. What is a spiritual man? What is a Christian but somebody who's wholly dependent on God? I am dependent on God for the outliving of these three callings. I cannot do any of this unless God fuels me. So that tree of life would yoke you to God, marry you to God, create an umbilical cord between me and God. And I am dependent for dear life on God. Dependence. So to be dependent on God is to be yoked to Him, to receive from God, to be in partnership with God, to look to Him, to trust Him. Dependence is the quintessential response and disposition God requires of His people. No other disposition will establish you in a proper relation with God. But dependence. Where He's the giver and I'm the receiver. Dependence, dependence, dependence. Independence... Is man's biggest issue with God. Just like individualism is man's biggest issue with one another. Point number two. Not only does that tree represent that I'm dependent on God, but it means now that I'm regulated by God. To be regulated by the tree of life is to be regulated by God as king and to have my entire being and my conduct according to His economy. Even as the natural man is regulated by many governing laws like breath, food, drink, sleep, relationships, and gravity, etc., etc., the spiritual man, the man who's of God, of Christ, is to be regulated by the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So that tree would make me dependent on God. That tree would, would mean I am regulated by God. Does it make sense? Regulated. That is God orders my conduct. God is now my image. God is my authority. God multiplies. God says left. God says right. And all I do is say amen. 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 Number last. That tree that Adam was supposed to eat that the apostles began to eat in the New Testament and that I now eat today, the tree of life who is Christ, represents spiritual oneness with God. God's economy is to dispense the oneness of His triune nature into man so that I become a partaker of His divine nature. This organic oneness of God and man will be the grand accomplishment of God's eternal economy. And it will obviously have its final and consummate expression in the upcoming New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a symbol of God and man becoming one. It's the greatest symbol in the Bible. It's the ultimate symbol in the Bible. It's the highest, the loftiest, and it's also the final symbol in the Bible, where a city and God becomes one. Now, here back in the Garden of Genesis, none of these things are stated. It's very mystical. What's the interpretation of this tree? What will it do? Well, 
we don't fully see it until it develops through the biblical story. And you see that every person who is of God, they learn to become dependent on God. Think of Moses. Every person who is of God learns to be regulated by God. Think of Abraham. God steers him. God leads him. Think of every person that is of God. They learn to become one with God. They speak with God, walk with God. There's a communion and a fellowship with the Lord, right? And so will it be in the Christian age when Christ, the real tree, gives Himself as the tree of life to us. We eat Christ. We take Him into us through believing and receiving. Guess what He's going to do? He's going to make you dependent on Him. He's going to regulate you. He's going to cause you to be one with Him. A Christian should never say, Where is God? Uh, I just, uh, He left me. You become organically one with God. And what God joins together, let no man separate. If, if, if the events of life and man can separate you from God, then pray even tell that God join you to Him. You have an imaginary joining. But the real joining of God to you, no man can separate. You should never, in a way, really say, I'm left of God, I'm forsaken of God, He forgot me. All those speakings and feelings is of the old mindset, the unrenewed mind, and of the flesh and its feelings. As men and women of God, we say, even though I don't see Him or feel Him, I know I'm of God. I know. And you'll see that faith substantiates reality. In the kingdom of God, no faith, no reality. Faith? Oh, reality. So the more you begin to say, thank you, God, you live in me. Thank you, God, you speak to me. Thank you, God, I'm a man of identity. Thank you, God, for giving me. You begin to thank Him and call those things that don't you necessarily feel as though they are, and you watch. Your confession, your faith, will in a way grab those mystical truths. <laughs> Pull it into your reality and oh my goodness, what a fun way to live. What is impossible to you as an imitator of Christ becomes perfectly natural as a participant of Christ. You cannot imitate the Christian life, it's impossible, but you begin to like host God in you, dependent, regulated, one with God. Oh. You just begin to live the Christian life. And then lastly, hell is easy to locate. It's an existence void of the divine life of God.